Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. This is the only wine I drink anymore. After researching and finding that many other wines contain added sugar, dyes like ultra red and mega purple, and filtering agents, including fish bladders, egg whites, and some other unsavory ingredients, and things like sawdust to improve the taste. But the dry farm part is important too. What this means is that the grapes are not irrigated. Without the water, they don't get as big or as sweet, yielding higher nutrient and lower alcohol wines naturally. Their wines are lab tested for purity and to make sure that they are free of even trace amounts of pesticides and herbicides. And they're all sourced from small family dry farm vineyards all over the world. I absolutely love their wines and I find them to be less expensive than other high quality wines. And Wellness Mama listeners can get an extra bottle of wine for a penny at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. That's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf-stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Moms podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I am here today with Joe Anderson. It's going to be a fascinating conversation because he has over 20 years of experience in pulmonary physiology and breath research science. He's the owner of Anderson Bioscience as an affiliate faculty member at the Department of Bioengineering at the University of Washington, where he has a PhD in chemical engineering. He's published over 40 peer-reviewed publications, so he's no stranger to the science. And he's working with a new company that I've been involved with called Level. I've been using their device to understand ketosis and health and disease and how measurement of breath acetone can help individuals better manage their health and wellness. I think it's going to be a really enlightening episode. Welcome, Joe, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I think my audience is pretty well informed, but for those who aren't quite familiar, I'd love to start at the beginning. Can you kind of just define what ketosis is for us? Um, Because I know we're going to throw that term around. Yeah, certainly. Ketosis is the idea that your body's burning fat and part of that fat, what we'd call fat metabolism, some of that fat's being converted into these chemicals called ketone bodies. And ketosis is a way to kind of monitor and describe how mu- how many of those ketone bodies are in your body in your blood and in your uh, your brain etc so that's a lot of lot of information there I'm sure we need to unpack a little bit of that I was going to say I know this is a really popular term right now and there are um, tons of resources I'm seeing pop up online about ketosis and how it's beneficial. Um, but so like you just explained pretty much if your body's burning fat, which most people will want to burn fat, at least some of the time, um, then you're technically in ketosis. So can you explain kind of what the differences and the types of ketosis are and the ones that, um, would be more common versus more uh, extreme, I guess? Sure. And, and maybe to even take a step back, if you don't mind is, you know, there's this movement towards understanding that maybe it's the sugars that aren't the best for us. That in fact, our our kind of abolition of fat maybe was the the wrong idea, and maybe we should really be cutting back our sugars, increasing our fat intake, 
the idea that perhaps it's the sugars that are actually causing the inflammation and causing some of the um, systemic failures we're seeing with some med- medical conditions. So when you, if you take a hold of that perspective and the science seems to be su- starting to support that idea that the sugars and elevating a lot of the sugars in your body really is not the best idea, then you want to be burning more fat. And that's why we get to this idea of how can you tell if you're elevating your fat metabolism? How can you tell if you're turning on uh, that elevation fat metabolism? That's where the ketosis comes in. So once again, to take a step back, there was a study done about 30 years ago uh, came in, uh, coming out of Abbott Laboratories where they showed that people who wanted to lose body fat just on a natural standard American diet, well mixed, but they restricted the calories. They cut their calories probably in half of what they would typically need. What they saw is those folks who did that and who were losing fat mass, they increased their ketone bodies, in this case, acetone in their exhaled breath. So, so the reason I bring that up is even if you're just eating your normal standard American diet, but you're going to cut back calories, you can get into a state of ketosis. In fact, no matter what you're doing, we're all in some sort of state of ketosis, meaning we're all burning some fat and some of that fat's being converted to these ketone bodies. And so everyone's in the state and I, what I would term a basal state of ketosis. Yeah, that's fascinating. So what are, so just changing your diet even a little can um, get you into ketosis, even just reducing calories. And I know there's a lot of data out there about the benefits of caloric restriction um, over the long term for longevity and how like fasting can play into that or um, different dietary changes. But um, what other things can come into play here? And when you're talking about caloric restriction, um, I would guess the more caloric restriction, the more uh, advanced the ketosis that happens or what's that relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great point is what I'm kind of hearing you say is, you know, what is the range of ketosis. And, you know, one thing I forgot to say is there, hopefully some people are saying, well, why does your body bother making these other chemicals? Why would you, you burn fat to make another chemical that seems useless, um, which would be a great question. So what happened, and you can think years and years ago when we didn't have meals every single day, you had to go out and scavenge, or maybe you killed an animal and you ate and you may have to wait a few days, right? So what happens in that scenario is your body doesn't have sugar because your body burns that out fairly quickly and your brain is really reliant on sugar. So if the sugar is gone from the system, then you need something to feed your brain and the brain can't metabolize fat. So what happens is your body converts the fat into these ketone bodies that feeds the brain. So we're really piggybacking off this long used biology that we've kind of neglected due to our current ways of living and constant intake of food that if you convert and move away from sugars and start using more fats, some of those fats are going to be converted to fuel for your brain, right? And so your question was, what is the range of ketone bodies? What's the range of this ketosis or this fat metabolism elevated? Well, the way I like to think of it is in terms of breath acetone. Um, because I'm working with a company called Level that's created a device to measure breath acetone. Breath acetone is an indication of ketosis. It's actually one of those ketone chemicals, ketone bodies. We all have about one part per million of ketones or of, of acetone on our breath. And uh, that's what I'd call a kind of a basal level of ketosis. Now, if you can crank up your ketosis even mildly just by cutting back your calories, like we talked about, maybe 
instead of 2,000 calories a day, you go back to 1,000. Um, you can increase breath acetone uh, to maybe 10 parts per million, right? Eight to 10 parts per million. So it's a, it's a reasonable increase. Now, I think one of the other things you mentioned, if you do something different, let's say you cut back all your calories, you fast. And like I just stated, you know, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, when people, the food wasn't as abundant, that would be happening probably every week. You'd be fasting for a few days looking for your next meal. When you fast, you can crank up your breath acetone between 10 and 100 parts per million. Um, and these are all from scientific studies. We, we published a study in Obesity, which is a journal um, reviewing the science. The other way you can get it between 10 and 100 parts per million is by just eating higher levels of fat, really cutting back your sugar intake, your, your uh, carbohydrate intake to, you know, less than 50 grams, maybe 25 grams of sugar a day. And that's really a small portion. You're talking around a teaspoon of sugar um, when you think about it. Now, so you can, you can elevate your ketone bodies almost 100-fold, still be healthy, still be uh, probably even more alert because those ketone bodies are great fuel for the brain. Some of you are probably medical folks, and you realize, man, I, I remember hearing about acetone in the breath, and that's an indication of, of something like diabetic ketoacidosis. Well, that's true. But that really happens in a totally different range. We're talking probably 300 parts per million of acetone to 1,250 parts per million of acetone. So you're talking almost a thousandfold higher than what we all have just kind of sitting here eating our standard American diet. So those are kind of the ranges. One is the basal. One to 10 is just some calorie, mild calorie restriction. 10 to 100 parts per million of acetone in the breath, um, fasting or very low sugar intake. And then, you know, above 100, you're talking 300 to 1,250. That's diabetic ketoacidosis. That obviously comes with other complications that are medically related. That makes sense. So are there benefits um, to different levels of ketosis? And obviously, I would guess it's dangerous at the point when you're uh, hitting the diabetic ketoacidosis level. But before that, are there benefits at certain levels that are kind of a sweet spot? Yeah, there, there are certainly benefits to, um, to, to elevating your ketone bodies. One of them is a reduction potentially in inflammation. There's there's some data coming out that seems to be seems to indicate that in the mitochondria of the cell, the mitochondria is that power plant in the cell that converts nutrients into energy that your cell can use. That in that mitochondria, the inflammation is decreased. You can also think that if you get into elevated levels of ketosis, the reason that's happening is you're cutting out the sugar, so you're going to reduce some of the inflammation potentially in the uh, arterial walls. Um, you also are going to reduce sugar, which is going to reduce the insulin response. Insulin is the chemical in your body that tells sugar to go into the cells. Without insulin, the sugar just keeps circulating in the blood and causes quite a, quite a bit of damage and leads to the diabetes we're talking about. So reduction of insulin can be uh, very beneficial. And the reason that is, is when you're constantly pumping out insulin, your cells can desensitize to that insulin and with time can be a precursor to the type 2 diabetes. So that could be another one. The other piece of the ketosis side, the elevation of these ketone bodies, would be uh, brain fuel. And there's some nice studies uh, showing that the ketosis, the ketone bodies, are great brain fuel. And actually, a lot of people say when they get these elevated levels of ketosis, and that would probably be in the 10 to 100 parts per million of acetone. And we maybe want to talk about the blood side too, the ketones that are in the blood. 
um, that they get better alertness, better mental function. And then the final thing is potentially this elevated level of ketosis can be therapeutic. And perhaps we'll talk about that um, helping maybe reverse some sort of diseases and also staving off other diseases as well. It's so fascinating. And I can at least personally speak to the brain benefits. Like I've noticed, and I know a lot of people who fast or enter ketosis on purpose, not even for like the health benefits so much as the brain benefits. And it's like, truly, it's a very clean fuel from your for your brain from what I've read. And I certainly notice the difference when I've experimented with ketosis. But um, I think what you're referring to with the studies, I'd love to go a little deeper because um, I'm kind of a nerd in that I love to just scroll through medical journals and see what the latest research coming out. And I've seen quite a few and met some researchers lately talking about ketosis and fasting in potential cancer research, even being able to reduce chemotherapy levels with ketosis and different therapies like that. So I'd love to know if you've researched that as well and what your opinion is. Yeah, certainly. That's We kind of look at the ketosis uh, kind of three different ways, at least from the level viewpoint. We have the way of ketosis is great to monitor your fat loss, right? So you want to lose, this is what we have. We have a lot of, in, in, our, in our company, we have, I'll speak for myself, middle-aged folks, metabolism is slowed. We're gaining a few extra pounds. How can we get those pounds off without going too crazy? Well, the level device helps you measure your fat metabolism, right? So fat loss is a great one. And the other side of it is to change your diet completely or, you know, or maybe not overnight, but with some time and really start to cut back the sugar. So you get in the ketosis or ketogenic diet, those sorts of diets. Now, the third one is what you talked about is trying to use the elevated ketone bodies for therapeutic uses, right? And what I mean by therapeutic uses is there's, we've, we've gone through the literature and kind of outlined about, I think eight to 10 different places where elevated ketone bodies or lifestyles that lead to elevated ketone bodies can reverse diseases. For example, type two diabetes, uh, there's company, there's a, a nice company out there called Verda Therapeutics that's reversing type two diabetes by by having people cut out the sugars, going on a ketogenic diet. And what happens if you remember, sometimes people call type two diabetes sugar diabetes, is your body drops its insulin production, and it allows your cells to resensitize to insulin, and it uses fat for the fuel. And so instead of your body having to manage where sugar is going and the damage that potentially sugar is causing to it, fat's fueling the body, and you can re reverse quite a few of those symptoms of type 2 diabetes. The other ones are, like we talked about, some brain function, uh, different mental, I guess you could call them mental diseases, whether it's just mild dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, those are thought to be um, a consequence of poor utilization of sugar in the brain. Uh, cancer is another one once again, and we can go into some detail on this obvious, but cancer, there has been a hypothesis for about a hundred years called the Warburg effect that cancer is driven by sugar metabolism. And two things are happening. Number one, the sugar is feeding the cancer, but also sugar is elevating insulin in your blood, which is a signal for the cancer cells to continue to reproduce and, and grow faster. So the idea is cut the sugar out. You're going to elevate your fat metabolism. You're going to elevate your ketone bodies. The cancer cannot use the ketone bodies because they have a dysfunctional um, ability to metabolize fats and ketone bodies. And so the surrounding cells, the healthy cells, use it, but you essentially starve those cancer cells. And now you may not kill them all off, but like you said, if you were to fast, 
um, and you start to sensitize those cancer cells and you start to starve them, then when you hit them with the chemotherapeutic and potentially it could be a lesser dose potentially or radiation therapy, then you may be able to kill more of them more effectively without the side effects. And some of the thought process is the ketone bodies feeding those healthy cells when you hit the whole body with the chemotherapeutic or the radiation, those healthy cells are actually more protected due to metabolizing the fat and the ketone bodies uh, prior to the therapeutic dose. So hopefully that, that gives you some, some perspective. As, as you may know, some folks may know that they've used this ketogenic diet for epilept, epileptics, people with epilepsy. Um, and what they've shown, this is they've known about this for close to 100 years, is that people on a ketogenic diet, their number of uh, seizures and events have gone down dramatically, uh, 50%, maybe 90%, depending on the populations of kids or adults, and can really reverse um, the symptoms of ep epilepsy. That was actually my first exposure to what ketosis was, is a childhood friend with epilepsy. And um, my friend could not have any kind of carbohydrates at all and was on an extremely ketogenic diet. And I didn't really think of it much at the time, but when I started seeing this research, it kind of came back to me and I was like, oh, wow. Um, so they really have known about this for a long time. It's not some like new fad that we're just figuring out. Um, is there a point where like, can you get too much of a good thing, I guess? Like, is there a point when you need to add back in carbs? I know there's a lot of people who recommend cycling or occasionally spiking carbohydrates. Have you seen any research on that one way or the other? So I, th and, and here again, just to once take a step back, I think some of this research is still um, not necessarily new, but we're starting to develop some of these areas. So we know that the ketogenic diet can be good, right? Um, the question is, is it good for everyone? And I think there's some, some studies coming out looking at different diets and genetics. So depending on your genetic profile, one style of diet may be more preferential for you than others. So to get to your point is, do you stay on it forever? Or do you cycle in and out? I think it's going to depend on the individual. And I think there will have to be a little bit of experimentation per individual to see, you know, maybe you stay on it for a week or maybe you do some intermittent fasting and you cut back your sugar or maybe you can go in and out. I think it's going to depend on some of the lifestyle choices, some of the genetic factors. Uh, some people simply can't do it because of the way they work and they're flying all over the place. Um, so I know that's not the answer maybe you want, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit tailored per the individual. No, that makes sense. And you mentioned going in and out of ketosis. I'm curious, um, does it take a while, especially if you're not really used to being in ketosis for your body to kind of get into that, that groove? Uh, cause it seems like a lot of people, if they just cut the carbs cold Turkey, they tend to experience some uncomfortable symptoms for a few days and then they'll see the ketones. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's, and that's a lot of people term that the keto flu. So you cut back the sugars. And remember, when you're cutting back the sugars, one of the things you're going to see, and a lot of people see this when they first go on a diet, is you start to urinate. You start to get rid of a lot of the water. Sugar needs water for storage, right? Um, fat doesn't. Fat, you know, oils don't like water. So, so one of the things that happens when you start to urinate out, you may urinate out some of the, um, the calcium and sodium and potassium. And so you may get some of this flu-like symptoms. And a lot of people can manage that, but just by drinking some bone broth that has some of those, um, some of those chemicals in it to relieve it. Uh, so certainly I think what I've, what I've heard and I've experienced some is the first time you go into ketosis or the first time you fast is the toughest, but there is some, some memory, which I'm not sure how that is, but each time you do it again, for, for example, each time you fast again, it gets a little bit easier. 
So I, I would say um, the more you do it, the, the easier it's going to become. That makes sense. And I'm curious how exercise plays into this equation of ketosis and fat loss and fat metabolism and even breath acetone. Does exercise make a difference there? Yeah, it, it certainly does. There's a couple different things when you're talking about the ketone levels. And, and by the way, maybe once again, maybe I should stay, take a step back because I didn't say this up front. When we're talking about ketosis, we're really talking about three ketone bodies. So when your, your fat leaves the fat cell, gets into the circulation, and finally hits the liver, that's where the fat is converted into these chemicals called ketone bodies. The mother ketone body is acetoacetate. And I apologize for the big names, but that's just simply what we call it. Uh, the acetoacetate can get interconverted, meaning back and forth, between a chemical called beta-hydroxybutyrate. Both of those chemicals, acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, they're only found in the blood or in the, or in the urine. And it's just because they're too big, they can't evaporate uh, or what we call volatilize. Um, acetoacetate also converts one way into acetone. So once it gets converted into acetone, it doesn't convert back to acetoacetate. Um, and acetone is small so that when acetone in the blood supply passes through the lungs, it can come out in the air and then out into your exhaled breath so we can measure it there. So what can affect the levels of those ketone bodies? We talked about nutrition, right? A couple of the other ones that are, that are um, factors would be exercise, right? So if you exercise for a long period of time uh, at a moderate rate, you can increase your fat metabolism, you start burning more fat. And that's going to be, that will show up in exhaled breath acetone as well as measurements of these ketone bodies in your blood and your urine. Two other ones that we typically think are pretty important are sleep and stress. So if you're not sleeping well, you can change your body's metabolism. Uh, One study showed, and it was uh, an interesting study about, I almost think it's about 10 years ago, showing that the ketone levels rise throughout sleep, particularly breath acetone rises throughout sleep. And it rises more in people who have deeper sleep. And it was a small study and a small data set, but that was interesting to me. Then the other one is the stress piece, and that can really affect the levels of ketone bodies because it really can mess up your metabolism. The other thing that's interesting is that what we typically see in the scientific literature is that women have higher ketone levels than men for uh, a, a given fasting period, et cetera. And that seems to be indicative of different hormonal distributions between the men and the women. And so when you say that, then that kind of leads into the fact of that women will have different uh, levels of ketone bodies based off of their hormonal cycles or, or other hormonal things that are going on. That's really interesting, but it makes complete sense. And um, so I'm curious because there's, I know there's some several ways you can me- measure if your body's in ketosis. And I've seen like, for instance, like blood meters, um, that would be different than like the level device. Can you talk about the differences in those measurements and like, do they tend to match up? Are they all accurate or what are the differences? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, so like I said, three different ketone bodies, there's acetoacetate, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and then acetone. And each one really for the consumer is measured in a different fluid. And let's start with the one that I think is the worst. And I think probably most scientists would agree with me on this one without a doubt is that measuring ketones in urine, although it's the most uh, inexpensive way to do it, is really the most inaccurate, problematic way, I would say. Now, it's very inexpensive, but the problem is when you urinate and you're measuring acetoacetate, you have a lot of factors that affect that concentration in the urine. And that can be the time between your last void, the last time you urinated. It can be acetoacetate converts into acetone in your urinary bladder. 
And so there's quite a few factors that can affect that concentration. That's not really the best way to measure it. And it's, although it's inexpensive, it's also not quantitative. If you've ever done that, it gives you a color that you've then got to convert to some sort of numerical value. The gold standard really would be blood measurement of beta hydroxybutyrate. And what that is, is you prick your finger and you give a, a drop of blood onto a strip and then you make the measurement of uh, beta hydroxybutyrate using a device. And that gives you a quantitative result. And that, like I said, is probably the gold standard at the moment. But there are a couple of things as you can imagine. Most people, I think, initially say, oh, it's just a, it's just a uh, prick of my finger, get some blood and we move on. But that actually over time starts to be painful and it actually starts to cause bruising. And so, and, and I say this from experience, so it's, it's not as much fun as you would imagine. The other thing is actually the strips are fairly expensive. Now they've been fluctuating in price, but they can be three to four bucks a strip. So if you mess up the measurement, you get to pay another three bucks. So it can potentially be, you know, seven bucks a measurement if you mess it up. So those can be pretty, pretty expensive. And you're not going to do it a lot, right? Just simply because of the cost and also a little bit of the inconvenience. Uh, the other one is acetone in the exhaled breath. And that's the one that the level device provides. The reason we're so uh, excited and bullish about it is because you can make measurements as many times as you want throughout the day. You can do it in a somewhat of a public setting because it's not, it doesn't feel private. You're not pricking yourself. You don't have to clean up your finger afterwards. Uh, there's, there's, you know, pretty minimal overhead for it in that sense. So acetone also the benefit is there's some nice relationship between acetone and at least fat metabolism, fat loss, how they each compare one to another. There've been some studies, there seems to be some, some comparison between acetoacetate and beta hydroxybutyrate, depending on some of the factors we just talked about. Are you exercising? Are you hydrated? Well, there, there's a relationship between them. It's not hundred percent clear. Um, what it is, I mean, we kind of have an arrange, you know, it could be one to one, it could be one to four, depending on that. Acetone versus beta hydroxybutyrate, like I said, kind of that gold standard has a relationship as well. Um, but it seems like there may be a little bit of a delay between kind of an elevation in beta hydroxybutyrate versus an elevation in breath acetone. So there you go. That's really, really fascinating. So someone, so I've been experimenting with the level myself and I'd love to like get clarity on the best way to use it. So basically, can someone use this at home to kind of gauge if they're losing fat or not? And like, what would you be looking for if you were using a device to do that? Yeah. If you're, if you're using the level device to um, cut some calories and try to lose some fat mass by reducing the amount of calories intakes, there's a nice relationship between breath acetone and, um, and fat loss. And we have that on the app there. So a couple things we recommend, number one, measuring in the morning, right when you get up and doing that every day. And the reason is it gives you a time that's repeatable that's also not really influenced by outside factors because you've slept overnight, you haven't put any food in your mouth, you haven't exercised. And so you've gotten up and your body is coming out of this restful, peaceful state. And so it's a good time to make a measurement that allows it to be well controlled. One of the things we say with a measurement is we actually have a breathing pattern we recommend to get the most repeatable and accurate measurement. And it's fairly simple, and we, we recreated it to try to make it fairly um, comfortable. So a deeper breath in, you hold your breath for about five seconds, and then just a, a, a full, comfortable exhalation through the little breath pod before you do the measurement. So that would be the, the thing I would say. Now, like I said before, 
you can certainly take measurements throughout the day. And sometimes I think that's very beneficial to understand when you go and exercise, how did that affect your astronaut levels? Or maybe you ate some things or maybe you're stressed. So those sorts of things can help you calibrate what's going on with your, with, within your body, with your fat metabolism. Yeah. I've been enjoying using it like after trying different foods to see um, like which ones seem to affect my blood acetone levels and ketosis more. And it's interesting to see things like sweet potatoes don't really make that big of a difference for me if I eat them in moderation, whereas like some fruits really do. So it's been kind of cool to get to experiment like that. This podcast is brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. This is the only wine I drink anymore. After researching and finding that many other wines contain added sugar, dyes like ultra red and mega purple, and filtering agents, including fish bladders, egg whites, and some other unsavory ingredients, and things like sawdust to improve the taste. But the dry farm part is important too. What this means is that the grapes are not irrigated. Without the water, they don't get as big or as sweet, yielding higher nutrient and lower alcohol wines naturally. Their wines are lab tested for purity and to make sure that they are free of even trace amounts of pesticides and herbicides. And they're all sourced from small family dry farm vineyards all over the world. I absolutely love their wines and I find them to be less expensive than other high quality wines. And Wellness Mama listeners can get an extra bottle of wine for a penny at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. That's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf-stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. Um, how are you finding people are using these? Is that kind of the, the way that people are using these the most is just on a daily basis to kind of gauge their response? And are you guys able to track the data to see um, like the results people are having? Yeah, two great questions, which as a matter of fact, I should have, should have brought up. So one of the things that we're excited about is that, that you have an app connected to the hardware device. The device is about the size of a Kleenex box, and it's probably a little smaller than a Kleenex box. And when you make the measurement by the device, the device sends the data to your app. And so you can track and trend all your measurements uh, throughout the day, throughout weeks, days, weeks, et cetera. And so I think that's one of the biggest benefits of having this sort of setup is that what we see is people throughout the week are usually pretty good. You know, they're like, they decide, okay, I've, this is my lifestyle that I've chosen and I'm going to work hard during the week. And then the weekend comes and, you know, their schedule goes a little bit sideways and they have some fun, they have some friends over and you can see their acetone levels drop. And that's just because they're having some fun. They may have a few few drinks on the weekend, or you may have a celebration of a birthday with a family member and have a piece of cake. All those things can make it drop off. And then the week starts, and you can see it start to elevate. Your breath acetone elevate again and get back into that elevated state of ketosis. I think a lot of people are using it to really monitor, just as you did, what diet and exercise factors are causing changes in their uh, fat metabolism. There's another set of people who are using it, like I said, for some therapeutic uses, and that may be 
I'm trying to reverse a disease condition, whether that's diabetes or cancer or, or dementia, and making sure my, my ketone body levels are elevated to a therapeutic level, that's going to give me some sort of benefit. Got it. That makes sense. And definitely, I should have mentioned at the beginning, we're going to have links in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. So anybody listening, you guys can find out more and get to um, level and check it out. So if someone is new to ketosis in general, and especially new to like testing like this, how would you recommend they get started with um, the least amount of like keto flu or the least amount of negative effects? Is there kind of a good way to ease into it? What I would say is there, there are quite a few different folks who are pretty in some sense, professional on this, and I'll, I'll kind of quote some of them. I mean, a couple different ways you can do it is that you could buy one of those exogenous ketones and eat some of that. I know people may not be familiar with those, but they're called ketone esters or ketone salts. You could eat some of that as a replacement for some of your some of your food. Maybe you replace it for sugar, which helps your body. What it does is going to elevate the ketone bodies in your bloodstream. Um, exogenously externally from external uh, ingestion and then that helps you kind of move into ketosis a little faster another way to do it is to is to eat medium chain triglycerides so once again substitute some of your food and take in this kind of fat that's a specific kind of fat called mcts medium chain triglycerides and what those do is they almost immediately get converted into ketone bodies so you can elevate your ketone bodies and go that direction um, I would say probably one thing you don't want to do is to just say today I'm on a mixed American diet and I'm going to start fasting. That's that's probably <laughs> going to be the most challenging way to do it. And if you're up for a challenge uh, and you have some time in your hands, then uh, go for it. But that's really a tough, tough way to do it. I think the easier way is probably the way I would do it, to be honest with you, it would be to start to gradually cut back the sugars, add in like a medium chain triglyceride to try to to try to ease that conversion and then also potentially have some bone broth, have something to try to minimize the flu that's going to come with the loss of calcium, potassium, and those chemicals uh, due to the urination of the fluids up. Yeah, I definitely um, would echo that. And I think that I love that you said that about, you know, reducing the sugar because I think whether fat loss is a goal or not, that's a good thing to do. And I know that like there's a lot of research out there and we're seeing more and more, but all these increases in disease and certainly the body doesn't need processed sugar at least. So I love that you say that too. I always like to highlight that whenever someone says it, because I think we're certainly eating much more sugar than our bodies need. And you've probably seen research on that too. Yeah. And I, I wanted to jump in here. I apologize. But one of the things I found interesting, I just ran across this, is the World Health Organization basically said they changed their recommendations and they're telling people to only eat 25 grams of what they call free sugar. And I think that's interesting because there's, when you think about it, there's all sorts of different sugars, right? There's sugars in your fruits and your vegetables. There's just natural sugars in those. I mean, there's sugars in honeys, right? But then there's this other class of sugars that the World Health Organization has, has deemed free sugar. So imagine you take white granulated sugar and you mix it into cookies. They would call that free sugar. And that's that sugar is going to be more readily absorbed and then it's going to spike your blood glucose is the idea. So what I'm trying to get at here is potentially if you wanted to go on that path to try to get sugars out, try to take out those sugars that are maybe the free sugars that are in, you know, your desserts and in those snacks and and even maybe not just get rid of them, but maybe just at, at first to substitute them with a natural sugar like you'd find in a banana or an apple. And then you could then you can move from that and then maybe take the banana and apple and maybe substitute nuts for that, right? So it's just kind of a slow, easy process as opposed to trying to transform your lifestyle and say, I'm going to give up cookies forever, 
<laughs> that can be that can be challenging. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know what's working for me because um, I've been using it at the level to kind of, like I said, gauge my food reactions to things. And it's been fascinating. So what tends to work the best for me now is to do intermittent fasting a few days a week, but just extending the amount of time between dinner and breakfast. Um, and then occasionally I'll do like a little bit longer of a fast, but I find the more I do that and the more I keep um, any kind of sugars low and carbs low, the faster I get back into ketosis on the days that I do eat carbohydrates. It seems like you said the body with the memory, it kind of, once you learn how to do it, your body gets there a lot faster and without any of the negative effects, kind of once you adapt to it. Is that what you've seen as well? Exactly. I love the idea of the intermittent fasting. I have done that a bit myself, uh, where you simply, you eat a meal at dinner. And then, like you said, maybe you don't eat again till noon, which would give you 16 hours of fasting. And that's pretty simple. And a matter of fact, some folks, and I think this was Tim Ferriss who said this, uh, which I like, is if you get to the point where you feel like you have to have food, maybe you eat medium chain triglyceride, which is simply a key, this is going to be converted into a ketone body. Now that technically it would take you out of your fast, but it, it doesn't totally, when you think about the other foods that you're going to be, you're probably going to be eating some proteins and some sugars and proteins can be converted into sugar. So you're kind of hybridizing your fast into this ketogenic uh, state. So yeah, the intermittent fasting is great. And I do agree that it seems to get a little bit easier day in and day out. And you can do a 24-hour fast really easy, right? You go to lunch and then you just wait a little bit longer and maybe you have an early early dinner and you've almost gotten to 24 hours. So it's it's a nice way to go about it. And you know, the idea of the, of the fasting too is I think it gets overlooked is when you think about it, think about your heart. Your heart is beating every second of the day. There's no rest for your heart. And in a sense, we don't give our GI tract, our gastrointestinal tract, any time to rest either. We constantly are pumping food through that tract all the time. So if you can give your organ systems just a break, if, you, if it's 24 hours, I mean, if you can do it for seven days at some point in your life, and I, I haven't, so I'm, I would be the last one to talk about that, you can really give it a break to allow it to repair and to replenish itself and get ready for the next you know, long stretch of processing food. Yeah. And I would actually, ironically, I'm in the middle of a seven day water fast right now, but I want to say like, definitely I'm under doctor supervision. I worked up to this. This is definitely not something to jump into. I didn't want to like recommend it and have people try to do it. Um, but it is really fascinating to see like my ketones getting higher. And after the first couple of days, the mental clarity from all the ketones is absolutely incredible. So um, I think there's some tremendous benefits and I know, like you said, there's research on it and, and also it's a very historical thing. We fasted throughout history, um, but yet we seem to be a little more afraid of it these days. So I'll report back on the podcast at a later one with my results of all that. But, um, but yeah, I love that you're seeing that research as well. And I, and I want to jump in here and, and I want to second what you just said with the doctor supervision. I think that's incredibly important, particularly if it's something, you know, we're, this is the, you know, we're getting into a new year and people like to make resolutions and go and do things. You know, when it comes to your health, it's always a great idea to be more safe than sorry, right? And go and get that extra evaluation. Say, yeah, you are medically fit to try something that's uh, a little bit different, a little bit outside your comfort zone. The, yeah, very smart idea to get medical supervision, particularly on that long fast. Yeah, for sure, 100%. And um, as we get kind of toward the end, I'd love for you just to kind of um, share what you guys hope to accomplish with Level and like what I know you, um, I've talked to some of your employees before and there's really like some really cool research and ways that you guys are kind of hoping to change the conversation on fat loss and fitness. So I love to just kind of end on that note of what you guys hope to accomplish by giving people the tools to measure this on a daily basis. Well, you know, the goal of the company really is to change the whole idea of health and wellness and disease management to understanding right now what's going on inside your body. 
and and to do that, we need to make measurements, individual measurements of our metabolism. And that's what this measurement of acetone is. It's a measurement of how your body is metabolizing fats. And so if you can provide that information real time to people, they can make real time changes. Now, the reason I keep saying real time is that with our current technology, you we use a scale and the scale is really reflective of where we've been. So you get on the scale today and it, the scale, the measurement will change up and down throughout the week. And really it takes a couple of weeks for that scale to move one way or another. And so you've got two weeks of time over which if you've messed up for whatever reason, um, you, you can't get that time back. So everyday measurement allows you to make real time changes and really understand where you're going to. One of the things that's fantastic about that study I talked about with Abbott is what they demonstrated is if you can maintain a two part per million of acetone in your breath. So two molecules of acetone in a million, that would be an elevation over what most people have of one. You can lose a half pound of fat mass per week. So the level device is predictive of fat loss. So if you can just maintain it, it's going to tell you it's kind of a gold star, the North star, where to go, how to get there, uh, directing you on your path. So that's one way. The other way too, we feel that it's going to be a fantastic device for helping people manage diseases, whether that's cancer therapy, whether that's reversing type two diabetes, whether that's brain function, trying to elevate your ketone bodies to improve your brain function, um, or reducing inflammation, fat loss, epilepsy, all those things with that immediate feedback to understand how you're doing day in and day out and how your ketone bodies are responding, how your fat metabolism is responding. And it may not just be to do nutrition. It may do to external factors that are affecting your sleep, your stress, all these things. If you can integrate that, get a single measurement to say, yeah, you know, yesterday I messed up, but today's a new day. I'm going to get after it and make something happen as opposed to I'm two weeks down the road and now I've wasted those two weeks and now I've got to start over we really feel this is going to be transformative. Yeah, and it's super fascinating and really awesome, I think, just to be able to have that tool in your house and to be able to get real-time data because for so long this has not been something that we as just consumers and patients could do was get access to any really like quantitative health data in our own home. So I love that you guys are pioneering that. And like I said, I've had fun experimenting with it. Um, and of course, the links will be in the show notes and they can find you guys at level.com. Um, but yeah, any parting with words you want to leave with everybody as encouragement or um, about level? Yeah. You know, you hit on the point that I should have brought up <clears throat> since I am the scientist, the clinical scientist here is what we've done with level is we've taken a, a piece of laboratory equipment called a mass spectrometer to 50 to a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment and we put it into a device that you can have at home that gives you the same accuracy as you would have in the laboratory without all the headaches, the babysitting, and the cost of training to understand it. So exactly, this has not been out there, and the reason it hasn't been out there is because the technology was, was tough to kind of wrangle and get it into a consumer device, but that's what makes it really exciting. We really hope it can be transformative. We've heard some fantastic stories from people that have revolutionized our life as a result of using the device. Awesome. And of course, the links will be in the show notes. But Joe, thank you so much for your time. This has been super fascinating, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I will see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.